0: Open with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9, we're going to be looking at a few verses, 57 to 62 actually. Let's stand together for the reading of God's holy and word. Hear the word of God to you this morning. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. Please be seated. Wow. I mean, is Jesus being unnecess- unnecessarily harsh with these three would-be disciples? I mean, with the great need for workers to help in the, help in the harvest of the kingdom of God, shouldn't he have been a little more diplomatic? Maybe a little more winsome? in order to kind of grab these guys. I mean, think about it this way. I think Brent can relate to this a little bit. I mean, if someone said to a hungry church planner, sign me up, I'll go wherever you go. It would most likely, like, most likely be in the next update letter in a re- praise report, right? New guy, he's going to come serve with us. But Jesus seems to go out of his way, as we look at this text, to discourage this first man's intentions. He seems to put a damper on this man's zeal to follow him, doesn't he? I'll go with you wherever you want to go, wherever you go. But Jesus says in effect to this first man, really? You'll follow me wherever I want, wherever I go, huh? Well, it just may mean you're not going to know where we're going to sleep each night. could mean that. It very well most likely will mean learning to pray, give us this day our daily bread, literally. You with me? Learning to trust God before knowing how His final answer will be worked out. I remember when um, when Covenant Prez first approached me, it was only my second summer, my first full year here in Atlantic City. And I don't even remember who in particular it was that was kind of giving a little pressure. They were like, we don't want to just support you uh, with finances, but we want to send people. When can we come? And I said, well, we're not really set up yet this summer. You know, I'll let you know, hopefully next summer. And I got a response back. But we really want to send it. To, and it you, you know, you kind of were persistent, I'm just saying. But you were. You were very persistent. And I remember how uh, finally... I said, "You all right, all right, you want to come? You want to send a team? But I warn you ahead of time so you can't tell me later on that week that you didn't know what you were up against. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't know how our ministry is going to be received. As we go into these new neighborhoods, I've never been there before. So in real life, time, and space, you are going to be stepping out in faith just as I am so you will be just as much missionaries as I am. You kind of remember that conversation? I said, you're not going to know. I don't know what to expect. I welcome you. I want you to come with me, but we are pioneers and we're trusting the Lord together because I wanted you to know ahead of time what we're up against. I remember saying, you're going to have to step out into the great unknown by faith in Christ right alongside of me. But back to my question, was our Lord just being harsh? Just verbalizing these questions out loud may make us realize that something doesn't jive. When it seems like we talk about the hard sayings of Jesus, right? The difficult sayings of Jesus. But we know at the same time, there, is there a more meek person than Jesus on this earth? No. Has there ever been someone? No. Is there anyone more humble or more gentle or more peaceable? Absolutely not. So that means we need to dig a little deeper and, say, and, and study and, and try to realize why did Jesus say such strong things? Why would he have responded so strongly and firmly to the seemingly eager person who wanted to follow him? As we do examine the, these verses, I hope you'll see it in a few moments, that they are filled with truth and grace. They are filled with mercy and and with honesty and we're going to see the bottom line is they're good for us <laughs> like when your parents say eat this it's good for you <laughs> at the time you might not realize it like when I had to eat peas as a kid I'm like really but I did and it was you know vegetation it's good for you I hear vitamins and well Jesus sometimes says things that might seem hard at first but man they are so good for us So Jesus is actually being kind. He's being merciful. He's making sure that prospective followers understand exactly and as clearly as possible and in no uncertain terms what they're signing up for before they take the plunge. That's merciful, isn't it? I want to know. Same thing I did with covenant that first summer and I'm so blessed and thankful you guys still came. Don't get me wrong. So we're going to see this morning is simply this. Jesus demands wholehearted devotion from all who would follow him. Simple message. Jesus demands wholehearted devotion for all who would follow him. I think I got two points. See that? Taking it easy on you guys. Two points this morning. First is this. Jesus wants us to make the decision to follow him with open eyes. You get that? He wants us to do it with our eyes open. Look at verses 57 and 58. We'll take a look at the first guy. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It's no kindness, brothers and sisters to paint as best a picture that you can in order to win someone to your cause, only to have them find out sooner or later that such a cause demands your life, your soul, and your all. Jesus is simply making it clear in this text that he desires followers, not fans. Disciples, not dabblers. It's one of the first lessons of discipleship. Now, you knew this was coming. Some of you know me. It's like in The Karate Kid. Okay, do your groaning now. Come on, hurry up. Get over it. When Danielson shows up, Danielson shows up for his first day of karate training with Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi says, you ready? Danielson answers, I guess so. You knew he was in trouble when he said that. So Mr. Miyagi says to him, we need to talk. He says this to him. You might remember. Walk on the road. Walk right side, safe. Walk left side, safe. Walk middle, sooner or later, like grape. Here, karate, same thing. Either you karate do yes, right? Or karate do no. You do karate guess so, like grape. There is no try in Christian discipleship. There's none of this I'll try stuff. There's just do or don't do. That's what Jesus is saying. Think of it this way. I'm learning how to speak Italian. The more I practice it, especially with native speakers, the more I get corrected. It's killing me. So I'm trying my best talking to my cousins, and they're like, Santo, no. And then I'm like, "Mom, mummy." So, and, and it's usually like this hairline difference of the way I'm pronouncing it, right? But when Tom, Donna, or Mary Ellen say one Italian, oh, bravo, bravo, bravissimo. Why? Because they know I'm committed to learning the language. They know that I set my face like Flynn, as it were, and, and it's a done deal for me. I'm all in. I will learn Italian. I may die doing it, but I'm going to learn Italian. But in being committed to learning Italian, it gets tedious, doesn't it? At first, I learn a few words, I get all encouraged, and then I realize this is like hard work. And then it's humbling, because as you start talking Italian with Italian speakers, they're all like, capisci niente," you know, in other words, this guy doesn't understand. It. And it's humbling, it's hard, other people make fun of you. And it's discouraging sometimes how little progress I make. I just think that I'm learning so much Italian, then I go to try to use it and I I fall on my face. And here's the here's the thing. With most people, whether it's Spanish or French or whatever they're learning, once it once the romance of learning another language wears off and they realize how hard and tedious it is, what do they do? They give up. They say it's too hard. But if you have that mindset, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm going to learn because I have a reason for learning. What's my reason for learning Italian? Most of you may know. I found like 30 of my co- Italian relatives that I am now in contact with regularly. So in order to communicate with them, what? I need to learn Italian. Because that's a lie, by the way, that English, uh, English-speaking people are the only ones that don't know other languages. Li- no, that's not true. Italians don't. A lot of them only know one language, too. I'm just saying. So it's to be fair. But so for me, in order to communicate, I have to put up with it. And it's worth it because I get to communicate with those I love. I know it's an imperfect analogy, but it's still an analogy and it's still clear. It's actually a gracious thing to make sure people are very clear about what decision they're making when they make especially that ultimate decision of following Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's not like those TV providers. You know, you've seen it on TV where they say... First six months, twenty nine ninety nine, in big letters. Ever see that? And then, literally, you cannot read. There's like a tiny asterisk, right? I mean, you literally can't read it, and it goes by real quick too. I can go up to the screen and still not read it. And what does it say? After six months, regular rate of sixty nine ninety nine will apply. You with me? Jesus cannot be accused of that. He doesn't put in big letters. Oh, come to me, and your life will be roses and easy. No. He puts in big letters, when I call a man or a woman, I call them to come and die. Can I get an amen? And then, once you make that decision, once you come to follow Jesus, then you see, yes, it's not all hard. There are benefits like peace, right? Like growth and grace, like the big benefit of being free from your sins and so many other things. But Jesus comes right out and tells us, what the fine print is right from the get-go. When I led, I led about seven short-term mission trips myself, one to Chile, foreign, and uh, six or so to Chattanooga, the inner city of Chattanooga, like what you guys do here. And whenever I prepped the teams, I always gave them, I, I shared with them the hardest things they had to expect. Right up front, I told them, listen, this is a mission. And we are not asking people To come, in order to come to know Jesus, we need people who know Jesus to come and bring his love to others. And I share with people you're either a missionary or a mission field, right? We need missionaries to come. And I would always paint. You know, worst case scenario, I always talk about who knows what's going to happen when you're there. You could have to stay at Pastor Santo's house, and it's not the best accommodations. The food might not be what you're likened to. The the kids might not just go, as soon as you step on the field, I want to receive Jesus. You know, I I let them know it could be tough. Because I want them to know what they're signing up for. And that's just, just an illustration. Now, of course, those people that come and do answer the call, they find out. Then they find out the good parts and the blessings that come dietrich bonhoeffer writes in the book the cost of discipleship i read this years ago when i was only a few years in the lord i'm just going to give you a little piece of it and then i'm going to the second and last point this is what he writes it's pertinent to what we're talking about in this text he says cheap grace is grace without discipleship grace without the cross Grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. Now listen, this is the part I really like for our purposes this morning. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. That's costly grace. It's you see Jesus as the real deal. And you realize, I want him. Can I get an amen? It's when Jesus preaches a sermon like no one's ever heard before to a huge crowd and even some so-called disciples. And they all turn away when they say his sayings are too hard. And so he turns to his 12 and he says, you want to leave me too? Here's your opportunity. And you remember what Peter says? Lord, to whom else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now Jesus wants us to follow him, but with eyes wide open. Second and last point. Jesus wants us to understand that allegiance to him trumps all other allegiances. You with me? In other words, he comes first. Jesus is all or he's nothing at all. Yeah. Look at verse 59 to 62. It's two, two men. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. A couple of quick things before I deal with the the third and last man. That's really going to be my main focus. But I want you to see, because I've preached on Matthew's account of this but I do want to repeat just a few things from that text as well. And that's this. We may think Jesus is saying you can't go to your, your, your dad's funeral. In other words, a one, two-day event or whatever it is. I personally agree with the commentators who think that this man is saying, let me go until my dad dies. Let me take care of him for a while, and then when he dies, I'll attend his funeral, and then I'll come follow you. Which is a little different, isn't it? Either way, what Jesus says is pretty shocking and it's, it's pretty strong. What does he say? Let the dead bury their own dead. You do what? You come follow me and you proclaim the kingdom. Now we may say, well, is Jesus against the fifth commandment? What's the fifth commandment? Honor your father and mother, right? But what we sometimes forget, what's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods but me. And what Jesus is saying here is strong, and it's firm, and he says it with no regret. He says this, Your allegiance to me needs to be greater than your most intimate relationship, or one of the most intimate relationships between parents and children. I come even before your mom and dad. I come before your husband or wife. I come before your child, and so on. Jesus wants us to place him first before all others in our lives, including our own flesh and blood. Now the second part of Jesus' answer is interesting to the second man. Let the dead bury their own dead. I believe firmly this is what Jesus is saying. There's many people who have not yet received spiritual life. They're not yet believers. They've not yet been born again. They could take care of your dad. You, you are alive in me. You go proclaim that good news to others so they too can become alive. That's what he's saying. You need to be about my business. Paul Leveroff cap- captures the meaning of Jesus' response to this man when he writes this. Jesus is not trying to tear him away from his family ties. It's simply a case of the good news of the kingdom being more urgent than an obligation which could just as easily be fulfilled by someone not yet spiritually alive. I'll give you an example of this from my own life just because it's easy for me to think of. When I was first saved, i got to be honest with you, I went crazy preaching the gospel. And the reason I did that is because God made it clear to me that hell was real, I deserved it, and that Jesus rescued me from that. So you can imagine once I lifted my eyes up and I saw friends, relatives, even strangers that didn't know Jesus, I had to tell them, right? I had to make sure. And and as I went, I shared the gospel. And as I shared the gospel, I met other other like-minded people who were Christians and committed to be followers of Jesus. And I started gathering around with them. I started, instead of partying at night, I would have Bible studies at my house. And my sister said something to me. And this is is where I'm coming, why I wanted to share this story. My sister said, you love them more than you love us. She recognized the spiritual life that we had and the bond we had in Christ even though we weren't biological family. Isn't that interesting? It's not that I shouldn't continue to love my family. It's not that you shouldn't continue to love your family. But Jesus has work for us to do. I think about those who think about retirement, and I don't want to insult anybody or put anybody down, but God did not call us to retire and golf the rest of our years. There's plenty of time for golf in heaven. Can I get an amen? He didn't call me to go to the Bahamas my last 10 years of my life and go, you know, another tequila. No, that's not what it's all about. It's nothing wrong with taking a break and resting now and then. God has that for us. But the point is, the mission, the need is real. The call is real. And, and, and here's the interesting thing. I, I want to say this real quick and I'll go to the next thing. When my cousin said, well, what about Everybody. And I had to point out to her, it's only those who believe. Now we see why it's so important that we proclaim the good news of the kingdom. Can I get an amen? Because without Jesus, people are separated from God forever. That's real. And because it's real, it trumps all other business we would have in this life. And God could be calling you to go across the street and tell your neighbor about Jesus. Or He could be calling you to leave family and friends friends here and go across the sea. That's God's call for you personally. You need to be about your father's business. And look at this last one, and then we'll close with it. Verse 61-62, still another one said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for, the, for service in the kingdom of God. What's, what's interesting to me is this. You would think the first man heard Jesus' interaction with the first two men, right? So his reply to Jesus, you're thinking, already when he says, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. If you've been reading this text, some of us should be doing this. Ooh, like in other words, it's coming. You with me? You know Jesus is going to be like, pow. And sure enough, he is Pow. These words are firm, so firm that I remember, i got to tell you this. So Dave, every year we do a theme. We do a theme for the week when you guys come. And as you may or may not know, your theme this week is keep on plowing from this text. And when I told Dave the, the passage that we're going to be reading from, Dave goes, you sure you want to use that? <laughs> That's kind of strong. And I said, absolutely. I'm going to use it because... As much as it seems hard at first, these words are life-affirming, they're encouraging, they're life-building, and they're good for our spiritual health when we truly understand what Jesus is saying. So I want you to focus. I Only a couple more minutes here. There's one long quote I have from a commentator who puts it so well that why try to say it better if he says it really well. David Gooding says this. Listen up. He says, It's a number one rule in plowing that if you want to plow a straight furrow, a straight line, You must keep your eyes riveted on the marker at the other end of the field. If you take your eyes off the marker and look behind you, the plow will go wandering all over the place. There's no denying that to put your hand to the plow of service in the kingdom of God is to face some sacrifice of the joys of family life, which may well increase as the plow advances. If when the going gets tough, we look back and hanker after the easier life we left behind, We shall get our eyes off the goal we were supposed to be aiming at. Our drive will falter. Our efficiency will be impaired. Our sense of direction will become confused. And our plowing may cease altogether. Well said. Well said. We have to keep our hands to the plow. Our hand to the plow. We have to keep focused on Jesus and His rightful claim on our lives. Even the most intimate of relationships like biological family comes second to His call on our lives. We need to keep on keeping on. Listen. We're talking about the one when He said these words He was on His way to give His all for you. He was on his way to lay down his life so you could have life eternal. Jesus demands all because he gives all. The old hymn puts it this way, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. Listen, Spurgeon says this, if Christ is not all to you, he's nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as a part savior of men. If he be something, he must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. But no master is more gracious. No master is more glorious and loving to submit oneself to. No kingdom's more worthy of sacrificing for. No greater purpose in the universe is greater than his purpose of bringing all things in heaven and earth together under one head, of redeeming mankind, of ushering in a kingdom that will not end, you're part of a greater thing. When you become a real follower of Jesus, you inherit all these things. Listen, when you count the cost and truly commit to following Jesus, then He will direct you to honor your father and mother. Don't misunderstand what he's saying. He will direct you to love your wife as Christ loved the church. He will direct you to be a good friend, a faithful sibling. But with this one difference, He calls the shots. And He lets you know what it looks like. Because sometimes family and friends will ask for things that aren't according to God's will. And Jesus will have to say, that one you could say no to. You need to follow me. Why do we preach the gospel? Because he calls us to. Why do we serve the poor, the least, and the marginalized? Because we're concerned with his concerns. And having begun, there is no looking back. You know, people sometimes get a little confused, especially with me. I don't know about you guys, like I speak for myself. Oh, your passion is, is to reach the, uh, the poor. Is it really? <laughs> your passion, and then you can go on. you can list whatever other things you want. No, my passion, by the grace of God, is one thing. It's not many. Follow Jesus. You with me? Because then you have to ask, well, where is Jesus going? <laughs> Look at the Gospels. He's ministering to the poor, right? Healing the sick, proclaiming the good news to those marginalized in society that nobody else cares about. That's why New City and me personally, that's why we aim there because we are following Jesus. You with me? You see the difference? I'll tell you the difference. We're gonna close here in a a second. The difference is this. Some people, God bless them. You you know, when my mom ever said that, I knew like whatever she was gonna say next was a good God bless them, you know? In the South, they say, bless their hearts. Some people say, you know why I serve the poor? So no, why? Because it makes me feel good. Well, now you know why I said bless your heart. It may or may not. If you serve the poor only because it makes you feel good, you know where I'm going with this. What happens when it doesn't make you feel good? Oh, you ain't going to do it. Thank you. Give him a hand. That was good. You ain't going to do it. What happens if you preach the gospel only when you feel, feel like doing it and it feels good? You're going to stop preaching the gospel. No, we do it because Jesus calls us to do it. Because that's what following Jesus entails. You with me? There's an old battle, Philip of Macedon. Wasn't he... Um, Alexander the Great's dad, I believe he was, there was one battle where they had to climb up over um, walls and when they would get on top of the wall, you know what he had instructed his guys to do? Throw down the ladders. And why would he do such a thing? Because he believed no retreat. Right? The hand is to the plow. The die has been cast. We're either going to win or die won't die trying. Would the king of kings expect anything less from his subjects? He's way more worthy than a wicked king. And the prize is a lot more glorious, isn't it? Beginning well is a good thing. I'm glad in my Christian life, by the grace of God, I started well. But my concern is continuing and keeping my hand in the plow. It's an old song that uh, hymn that my alma mater, Covenant College. It's their theme hymn, and I'm going to quote two past two uh, stanzas of it, and then we'll pray. I hope this is true for you. I hope it's true of me. All for Jesus, all for Jesus, all my beings' ransomed powers, all my thoughts and words and doings, all my days and all my hours. Since my eyes were fixed on Jesus, I've lost sight of all beside. So enchanted my spirit's vision, looking at the crucified. So maybe you and I, we look at each other and we could say now and then, remind each other, all for Jesus. You with me? This week, guys and girls, remember, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about New City. It's not about hope. It's not even about the community. Who's it all about? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for making us that we are here breathing in this room, that you've given us a measure of health, that you've given us so many good things, But more importantly, Lord, we had a great, great need, and that is a need for forgiveness. A need of renewal. Father, we thank You that in Jesus we have those things. And Lord Jesus, we ask for Your forgiveness for the times we do. We do look back, and we need to repent from the heart. We thank you you are good, we thank you you are merciful, and you are worthy of all of us, not a part of us, not just half of us. So this morning, Lord, we we just humbly come and we say, create in us clean hearts. We pray you would do your perfect work in us, that we would belong to you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength in practice. And we pray for the team this week, Lord, that you would help us to be focused, not just for this week, but that it would be like a, a, a realignment of our lives, Lord. That we would remember that we are called to proclaim the kingdom. For the glory of your name, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday Sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Rev. Dr. Santo Garofalo. Join us next week for a brand new New City's Sunday Sermon.